The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 128. The short story at the end of the episode is 31 Others, narrated by Kurt Bonham. No one has heard this before. I don't think anyone I've put it out at all. This is set in the 25 Perfect Days world. It's the first story that has been written from a first-person perspective, which is the type of writing that I enjoy. Uh, it's really fun to do, so check that out at the end of here. Uh, if you want to read that short story, you'll have to find it in Morsels of Mayhem, which is free on my newsletter. That uh, Morsels of Mayhem has just been translated into German, Gruselig, uh, Leckerbissen, something like that. Uh, sorry, my German is terrible. Um, but that was cool. That's what uh, one of the things I did this week was get that translated, proofed, and then I had to put it in book format. So that is now out. I'm setting up my newsletter in German so I can really start building up the German audience. Uh, pretty excited. I've been spending a little bit more time with the language learning. Uh, a lot of this week has been spent preparing for the book fair coming up. I leave on October 16th. Just yesterday, I finalized the TBI book in both German and in English. I ordered it. Uh, now I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that they are going to arrive in time. Uh, it says 10 to 15 business days. If it takes 15 business days, that means I am not getting any time. I just wrote to them, though, asking them if there's any way to make it a little bit faster, if I could pay to get the books here quicker. I really would like to have those. But even if I don't get those books on time, it's still cool, man. I still have all the flyers. I have all my posters. I have everything else set up. Uh, brochures are coming in today. Uh, I just made some new 12-page brochures to hand out at the festival. Those should do well. I also got some cool bookmarks being uh, made. So a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff like that. Uh, my assistant right now is making some really cool sales sheets that we'll be able to hand out to different foreign reps there, uh, literary agents, all that sort of stuff. Um, then later on, I'll be sending those off to libraries. So a lot of cool stuff. I'm feeling super pumped about um, just my career in general, but especially this trip. I think this trip is going to be awesome uh, on different levels on one level like so it'll just be overall awesome it's gonna be great for building up a german following uh, new connections but also just the amount of writing time on the plane in the hotel all that kind of stuff plus being able to see the castle that we're writing about uh in trying to die on the rhine that's gonna be really cool as well so lots and lots of cool shit um other stuff this week uh got in some weightlifting got in some yoga uh breathing all these things are making a big difference they're all contributing to this overall feeling of awesomeness uh and again not every day is awesome some days i will come home i'm in uh i take my son to soccer practice on mondays and wednesdays my foot has been in all kinds of pain with the plantar fasciitis been going to physical therapy working on that it's improving a bit like on those nights, I come home, haven't used any cannabis all day long, get back at like 8.30, just kind of angry because of the pain in my foot, and it's been a long day, whatever else. But, um, you know, so even though I'll go through that, then it's about, okay, well, let me let me breathe, let me take some time for myself, let me use a little bit of cannabis to help bring stuff down. And then I realize it's like, okay, that's all little shit, that's all little stress, whatever, I, I acknowledge it, let it go, 
and then go on to have an awesome day the next morning. One really cool thing that happened last weekend was going to a baby shower. I know that sounds kind of crazy, not something I'd ever hear myself saying. My wife was very surprised too. Originally, she was supposed to go with me. Uh, it's for a very good friend of ours, uh, good friends, Anthony and Janine Johnson. Awesome, awesome people. Uh, I write about Anthony in my book. Uh, I think I mentioned him in Unlocking the Cage as well, but he's in the TBI book because he was my yogi, really good friend. Um, taught me all about yoga, the importance of it. Uh, we spent a lot of time training both yoga, jiu-jitsu, became really good friends, talked a lot about being a father, his fears of being a father, all that kind of stuff. And so now that he's married and having a baby, it's pretty awesome. They're both great people, very loving. They're going to be awesome parents. Um, but the idea of going to a baby shower before, I was like, there's no way I'd want to go to a baby shower. Uh, in fact, my wife called me on it because she's like, she was surprised that I even wanted to go to the event. You know, she she thought I was going because of obligation or whatever else. I was like, no, I really want to go. She's like, but you hate being around people. I was like, mm, I don't know. Just that didn't feel right anymore or true or whatever. So she wasn't able to go because she had to take care of the kids. Uh, there's no one around to watch them. But I got dressed up. I drove an hour. I even wrapped the presents myself. It looked like a little kid wrote, uh, wrapped them. Um, went to a crowded place and surrounded by people that I didn't know except for Anthony and Janine. But it was awesome. And I didn't feel uncomfortable. I didn't have to go and drink. I didn't, you know, wasn't high. I didn't do any of that stuff. Just had a nice time. They set me up at a table with some of their other friends, their yoga friends. Hit it off with them. Uh, but it was just a cool feeling not letting that um, social anxiety or, or whatever else uh, interfere with having a good day. So that was awesome. Uh, super happy for them. It was great being able to see them for a little bit. And uh, yeah, but I thought that was cool. Another cool thing that happened right after that was I went to go see my buddy, uh, Fortunato Lapari, who uh, lives out in Riverside. He's always coming to me. I never drive down to him, but I was in the area. So I went down there and he wanted to take me to his um, the spot that he goes for cannabis. I thought it was closer to his house when I got in the car. When we were driving for a little while, he told me it was in Lake Elsinore, which I'd never go down to. But if you are near Lake Elsinore at any point, you probably do want to hit this place up because it is awesome. Um, I was impressed with it. I usually go to hole-in-the-wall dispensaries. The one by me is kind of shady. You know, you the crappy building, shitty parking all around. You have to park in the neighborhood. You can't even see the person that you're handing your ID to. Uh, just the whole thing very, very sketchy. You know, and, and like Fortunato was pointing out to me, lots of stuff I'm smoking. Who knows what's in it, what kind of pesticides they use, everything else. Another one of those health risks you don't really think about when you're using cannabis so much. So went to this place and we pulled up a, man, beautiful building. Uh, when you're walking up, there's a security guard, very professional, very friendly and nice, who greets you, checks your ID. You go inside, talk to people at the front desk. Very nice. Again, everyone's super friendly. The building's really clean. Um, everyone's very knowledgeable. The sales staff inside was cool. They grow their own weed. Everything is nicely packaged. One thing that really impressed me was their marketing. Uh, all of their branding was just excellent. Uh, so that's Medcare Farms uh, in Lake Elsinore. So if you're ever in that area, um, yeah, hit them up. They also have uh, delivery too. But yeah, this stuff that I've been smoking this week is pretty awesome. I think this is the, oh, 
lemon burst, uh, 22.19 THC. Uh, but it's been been enjoying it. Also picked a bunch of other stuff there. But again, super cool branding. If I was going to own a dispensary, I would do something like that. That's the wave of the future. That's how it should be. Um, yeah, and especially since the prices were just about the same as what I'm paying right now at this other place was shady. So I'd much rather get it from a reputable place. That place seemed really cool. And again, anytime I talk about cannabis, I always want to put that disclaimer like, hey, I'm not saying that this is for everyone. I'm not saying that there are no health uh, risk in using this thing. Um, I encourage people under 18 to leave this shit alone until your brain is developed. I started at a much younger age. Uh, but I was also dealing with some pretty severe shit, um, you know, as far as self-hatred and who knows how many traumatic brain injuries I had at that point, how many concussions I was dealing with. Um, so I started at a young age. Maybe it affected my brain in a negative way. I don't know. But I also, that's one of the last chapters or sections in my book on traumatic brain injuries is, yes, cannabis does hold some risks. But because of how much it improves my daily life, um, for me, it's worth it. You know, so even though maybe it is accelerating my brain age, uh, that's what Dr. Amen points out in his studies, you know, that he says, I think it's like 2.8 years brain acceleration, even accelerates the aging of the, of the brain a little bit more than alcohol. But I'm doing all kinds of other healthy stuff. And I know cannabis overall does have some really good health benefits. So uh, one of my friends, we just had this discussion because he was talking about it. Uh, he drinks a good amount of alcohol. He's had kind of an issue with alcohol. And he's finding that instead of using alcohol, like cannabis is a little bit better for him. But he gets paranoid about it because he feels like he's doing something wrong. Even though we live in California, even though it's legal, you know, he hides it from his family and uh, friends and everyone else. He doesn't want them knowing, and it's all because, and he feels, he gets paranoid because he feels like it's something wrong. We, we were brainwashed to believe that this is a terrible drug, that it's a schedule one drug, that no one should use it. You know, it's bad for you. It's going to ruin your brain. That's all bullshit. I mean, yes, there are some risks, but not to that level. So, you know, that's ingrained. I still get that way sometimes, but, you know, so we were talking to him. I was like, okay, well, do you? You know, do you see it as a medicine? Like it is a medicine. It's it's one of the world's oldest medicines. So, uh, you know, if you start looking at it like that or look at it compared to alcohol and see which one, like what, that's what I was asking. I was like, which one is worse for you? Which one is worse for your body? Which one is worse for your, you know, what are you going to do to your liver by, by doing this over and over and over and drinking? So, so what would you rather have your kids do? Would you rather, if I had to choose between my kids going out and getting super drunk every night or getting high every night when they're 18, I definitely would want them getting high. It's way safer. They're going to make less mistakes. They're not going to drive and kill someone. Again, I don't want them to spend every day getting high, but uh, I'd be a hypocrite if I said not to do it, especially since that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last 30 plus years. So anyhow, that's my rant on cannabis. But again, Medcare Farms, Lake Elsinore, go check them out. Um, shit, I think we're going to wrap it up, guys. I got to get to my newsletter. Busy, busy day. Uh, and I still have some books that I need to get published before, well, ordered for this fair. The new version of the German Brightside cover uh, came in this morning. So I'm reprinting that as well as Beyond Brightside, Jan Zeitz on the right side um that is also in so 
this morning. I'll be doing those, putting those up, ordering those through Amazon's KDP program. They have a print program. Uh, it's good enough. Uh, I usually use Lightning Source for everything else, but I'm using Amazon for these two books. I should get them quicker. Um, so once those are in, I will have all my books set up for Germany. All right, guys, I'm out of here. I hope you enjoy this story. Again, this is 31 others. You could read it in Morsels of Mayhem, but it is set in the 25 Perfect Days world. Um, hope you enjoy it. This one is narrated by Kurt Bonham. All right, guys, I will talk to you next week. Later. Thirty-one others, October second, twenty forty-five. Holy shit! What the hell happened? Everything hurts. My head's one giant throbbing mass. My left eye won't open, and my right's blurry. I'm guessing car crash, but I don't remember driving. I don't remember anything. Last thing was kissing Paula goodbye. I wipe my eye and cry out, my left shoulder a hot flash of agony. My scream echoes, but only my right ear catches it, my left just ringing. The stickiness on my fingers is drying blood. My hand hesitates, then goes to the missing patch of hair on the side of my head. I'm afraid to check my scalp, but need to know what I'm dealing with. The skin is torn, but the bleeding has stopped. It's the swelling I'm worried about. The pressure. The pain. I don't even know where the hell I am. Just that it's some kind of small cell. This bench is black steel, same as the side and back walls, each close enough to touch. Thick glass doors stand three feet in front of me, giving this cage the feel of a fancy elevator, but... There are no buttons to open the door or call for help. I'm naked, no clothes in sight. There's a puddle of spit and blood in the corner. Around my left ankle is a black plastic tie, that foot a light purple. Another tie secures it to the U-ring bolted to the floor. The glass doors look too thick to break, and there's a black number seven sticker near the bottom. The walls and glass doors stop an inch from the concrete ceiling a good nine feet above. Seems like something they'd pull on us in basic training, but the army's in my past. It's gotta be a dream or some kind of joke. And again, this hurts too much not to be real. What I can see of my left shoulder is a massive black and blue. There's a purple splotch across my swollen ribs. Another on my left hip. It hurts to sit up, the ringing in my ear not doing any better. There's something on the other side of the glass, but I need to get up to see better. Jesus Christ! At least one of my ribs is broken, and my balance is shit. Without the wall to lean on, I'd go down. A row of five cages stands a good fifteen feet away about a yard separating each of them, concrete walls on both ends. The one directly across from me has thirteen at the bottom, a woman curled over on the bench, her disheveled long blonde hair hiding her face. The cages marked twelve, eleven, and ten are to my left, 
and fourteen to my right is nestled against the wall. The walls of my cage are blank, same as the glass. No button to slide the doors open. I cover up with my hand and yell, What the hell is going on? My voice is muffled and hangs in the stale air. It doesn't look like anyone heard me across the way, or at least no one's acting like it. From this angle, I can't see if anyone's in ten. Next to her in eleven is a dark-skinned lady with short black hair who's balled up on the floor of her cage. The curly brunette in twelve is on her feet, covered up with both hands. She looks like she's still in high school. I glance away, even though she seems familiar. The girl in fourteen is about the same age plus forty pounds. She might be asleep, her head lolled back and her punky blue hair smashed against the side wall. There's a loud click and a whir as the cage vibrates. My cage and the ones across from me move as one, shifting right as fourteen lowers out of sight. We're stuck on the world's slowest roller coaster, but even that little bit of movement makes me nauseous. I sit down, rest my head against the glass, surprised by its warmth. Cage nine just came out from the wall to our left. The angle's too sharp to see if anyone's in it. What if Paula is in there? Why are we here? The glass thuds under my foot when I kick it. Only my right ear registers the sound. I've got to breathe. Got to calm down or my head's going to burst. Or it already has and my skin's just containing it. The lady across from me pulls her hair to the side, both eyes black and blue, her nose crooked. She sees me looking, and her hair once again hides her face. Twelve is sitting down, eleven still on the floor, and ten standing, facing the place we'd come from. Not much of her is exposed, but I'm relieved by her red hair. It's not Paula. What the fuck? I should be at work. Or home, not here. Work. The protest. Breathe. It's my left side that's damaged. That eye probably permanently gone. An explosion. Grenade! That's what Yvonne had yelled. We were front row with my camera, Yvonne preparing her questions beside me. Judge Monterosa stood behind the podium, her voice shaking with rage as she recited the list of congressmen who each had at least one live-in employed, every one of the girls the minimum age of fifteen. My memory is interrupted by a whisper, someone talking. The wall is warm on my palm, my head throbbing more when I'm standing. Hello? They... here, a tiny voice says from above. It doesn't sound like it's coming from a speaker, and there's just the concrete wall to our right. I get as close as I can to the other wall, turn so my good ear is facing it. Anyone there? Yeah, a man says. You hear me? Barely. I step on my bench with my right foot, rise up as far as the zip tie will allow, 
Where are we? I don't know. They took off my hood before. Click. The entire cage vibrates. No! The ceiling pulls away from my hand, my equilibrium off as we descend to the next floor. Thirteen and I stop at the same time, but the blonde doesn't even raise her head. Not that there's anything different to see down here. Four cages and a concrete wall to the left, another wall to my right. The punk rocker in fourteen is crying, banging her fist on the bench. In fifteen, a lady with long silver hair appears to be the oldest here. She pulls her hair back into a bun and wipes the sweat from her brow, dabs the small wounds peppering her face. Holy crap. Judge Monterosa. Why would someone kidnap us? This makes no sense. The teenager in sixteen has a runner's physique, bruises across her back. Her right foot is on the bench, her left straining against the zip tie. She calls out to cage one, but it isn't visible from this angle. Down here, there's a six-inch gap between the cages and the ceiling. Not enough room to squeeze through, even if I got the tie off. It seems like the larger opening would make it cooler. But if anything, it's warmer down here, the air stifling. I face the left wall and yell, Hey, you hear me? Yes, I'm here, a man says, his voice shaky. Not our kids. I don't get what he's saying. Then I remember the name of the movement. Cameraman, I tell him. Can't believe this. What happened? Click. The cage shakes. We all shift one space. Cage one passing through the tight opening in the wall, twelve descending into the open space to the right. The image of an airport luggage terminal fills my mind. What the hell is going on? My throat is raw, but I still scream. We didn't do anything! Calm down, the older-sounding man in six says. It won't help. I move closer to that wall. Who did this? Probably backers of the bill, everyone being named. I sit down as a wave of nausea overtakes me and bile rises in my throat. The curly brunette in twelve is looking right at me, mascara snaking down her cheeks. She holds up her hand and waves. I return the wave. Her small smile brings everything back. She'd been at the protest standing behind Monterosa with the other girls who stepped forward to tell their story. All the things they were forced to do to get assistance for their families. But now she's doing sign language, and I've got no idea what she's saying. Oh, man, Eight says. Stop it! At first I think he's yelling at me, but I'm not doing anything. We can only see the woman. Sixteen is hysterical. Her screams silent as she pounds on the wall. She is jerking her leg hard as she can, the zip tie embedded so deep, the blood flowing freely. Finally, Sixteen gives up the struggle and faces the door with a look of determination. Still standing halfway on the bench, she puts her hands behind her back and dives head first, 
tucking her chin so her body doubles over, her neck snapped in half. The click scares the shit out of me, and the cage rumbles. Sixteen's dead and disappearing through the wall. Judge Monterosa sits there, her face fierce, oblivious to what happened a few arm lengths away from her. Fourteen is banging on the glass with both fists, but I only catch faint thuds. The blonde in thirteen has her head bowed, twelve attempting sign language with someone to my right. Eleven is the new arrival. She's sitting up, arms covering her chest. That's Zara, my editor. She wasn't even at the protest. I wave, trying to get Zara's attention, but she's staring at her feet. At least she doesn't look injured. Well, this is bad, Nate says. I'm fucking freaking out. It'll be all right, I say. The biggest lie of my life. That girl killed herself. I saw. He says something else, but I tune him out. Same with Six, whose shouts are muffled. All I can think about is Paula. If she's safe at home, if I'm going to see her again. I close my eye and breathe, the humid air filling my throat. The pounding in my head isn't as bad, or I'm just used to it. But there's no question the swelling's getting worse. Click. Sweat stings my eye my entire body glistening. I'm in the batter's box and in need of serious medical attention. I count to thirty before Six starts shouting. What's going on? He asks. Where are we headed? Pretty sure we're on a loop. To where? I don't have an answer, so I go to the left wall. You hear anything? There's silence. Talking, yelling... That's it, Eight says. I'll be right back. Six keeps shouting for me, but I close my eye, pretending I'm in a sauna, keeping my breaths long and soft. Getting upset won't help. I've got to stay strong. A click and a shake, and I'm the one up against the wall. Me and Thirteen, who's still hiding behind her hair. Eight is talking, but too low to make out. He's getting louder, telling someone to fuck off. At least there's someone to talk to. I can explain there's been a mistake. I'm a journalist. But so is Zara. There's no reason she should be here. She's still staring at the cage floor. Twelve's crying, rocking back and forth. Thirteen parted her hair down the middle and is staring right at me, her hands folded in prayer. Join me. She mouths, please. This is my first time since I was a kid. I bring my hands together, give a slight bow. Her smile looks painful, her teeth stained red. Thank you. Six is shouting something, but I'm not going to respond. All my focus on this woman. Click. The cage shifts left, and I'm looking into a tiny white cubicle. A giant black screen hangs inches from the glass doors, and the sulfurous air is thick enough to taste. We clank to a stop and the screen pops up. A balding white guy in a black controller's uniform sits behind a desk. The guy looks like he got teased a bunch as a kid and probably still does outside of work. I keep my voice calm and say, 
This is a big mistake. I'm a journalist. I'm a cameraman. He doesn't even bother looking up. We're well aware of that, Mr. Norris, he says, his squeaky voice coming through the ceiling speaker. Eight is screaming at me. Don't confess. Don't give in. White noise is cranked up to drown him out as condensation gathers on the glass. The controller says, Pay attention, Mr. Norris. I served in the army. Which makes your treachery even worse. You pledged undying allegiance to the president and his controllers. I didn't do anything. This isn't constitutional. Do you confess and denounce your crimes? Eight screams so loud it cuts through the white noise. Confess, he says. Confess! Please look at the screen, Mr. Norris. The screen goes black before an email appears. It's from Paula. He highlights her third sentence down. Someone needs to stop these scumbags. That's a private message to my wife. The screen switches to a conversation I had with Zara this morning. She suggested how I frame my photos. Focus on the girls. We need to see these pedophiles burn. Denounce your heretical ideology, the controller says. Accept your three-month detention. Be baptized and become whole. The smell is awful as the heat turns up, the steam intensifying. I ask, or? The maniacal shouts of a madman slice through the silence. Time's up, the controller says calmly. If you're going to confess, please look at the camera above the cell. Fine, I say. I confess. I accept my punishment. Click. The cage shakes and the screen goes black. This room is bigger, the humidity overwhelming. An enormous shiny steel vat with water trickling down the side fills the space between me and Thirteen. Another one between Fourteen and Eight shines bright through the rising steam. Fourteen's bunched up on the floor, drenched and dead, her blue hair floating on an inch of water. Her baptism. No! Eight screams. Lord Jesus, no! There are silver slides jutting out from the wall, each angled down at a cage. Thirteen is still seated in prayer, her face serene, eyes closed. I can't tell if she confessed. Eight keeps screaming. This can't be happening. No goodbyes to our families. We didn't do anything! I punch the glass, not caring when I shatter my knuckles. Something clicks above, and a torrent of cold water knocks me into the doors. It's not stopping, and already up to my knees. Thirteen opens her eyes and jerks back. Looks like she's been shot. She's pointing and screaming at me and eight. The water's past my thighs, but the lava is slower. A waterfall of fire pouring over fourteen eating away all traces of her. I jerk my leg, but the zip tie's not breaking. The water's to my chest. Even if I could hold my breath long enough, there's no getting away. All the screams are gone, just the rushing water. 
Thirteen's trying to kick her leg free, her nails drawing blood as she tries to tear the tie off. Getting on the bench won't do me any good. I want to leave my mouth open, but instinct takes over and I gasp the biggest breath. The water is nearly to my eyes when Thirteen faces me. I fold my hands in front of my chest. No way of knowing if she's joined me. The water distorting everything. I let in the flood and pray.